Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Macadamian, where we explore the intersection of technology and healthcare. We've worked with many innovative companies to design and develop digital products that improve people's health. And we want to share all that we can to help people build better products. So let's get to today's episode. So I'm excited for this conversation today because our team has been working on some really interesting stuff around using behavior change techniques when designing digital health apps so that they better engage patients and help them build the habits that will enable them to reach a specific health outcome. So joining us today is Roxana, who is a cognitive data specialist at Macadamian, and Alex, who is one of our principal interaction designers. And let's just dive right into it. So Roxana, I'll start with you. Maybe you can just tell me a bit about what the digital health app market is like today uh, and some of the challenges within this market that prompted our team's work in designing for behavior change. Well, designing for behavior change has always really been a component of our research. But you're right, we're seeing an enhanced need and in turn enhanced requests for it these days. I'd say a lot of it has to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. For one, it really increased and it imposed drastic behavior change on all of us. We're all experiencing that. And that led to really accelerating the rise of of digital health. I was actually just reading the other day in 2021, uh, the global digital health market, it's expected to see a rise of 37% which sounds eh, so-so really, but by 2027, it's, con- it's expected to continue to grow and reach over 500 billion. So there's behavior change overall that we have no choice if we wanna keep our health and our loved ones. Digital health apps are exploding And the best part is that from the public perspective, too, we're seeing the acceptance of um, health and wellness apps is higher than ever. So, I mean, this is all exciting, but we really have to also remember behavior change is not easy. So just because we're transitioning to like this whole digital health space, it doesn't guarantee success. I guess my favorite, well, sad example really is medication adherence, whether it's because of lack of motivation, denial, inconvenience, or all kinds of barriers, only half of the patients with chronic diseases take their medications. And you know what's even worse? This number was the same in early 2000s. So despite the crazy boom in digital health, It hasn't gotten any better. And that's what prompted us. It's like the perfect opportunity. The desire and the need for digital solutions is here. Users are ready for it. Technology is up to date. So why are these apps failing? And that's what we're trying to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. Alex, do you have anything to add to that? What's your take on what's happening right now in the digital health app market? She's absolutely right um, in mentioning how difficult behavior change is. Another interesting stat is that uh, it, it takes, for, for some people, it could take more than 250 days to establish a habit. And if you miss a day, 
you'll you'll find yourself losing a lot of that progress. So it's it's not a simple thing. Um, and uh, oftentimes when we're trying to build a good habit, we're actually trying to get rid of a bad habit. And so you're actually simultaneously changing two habits, right? So um, it's it's uh, definitely a complicated thing. So we need to, it, the approach has to be methodical. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, that's definitely a good point. I mean, yeah, I feel, 250 days, you said? 250 days. So there's I a myth like- out there that you could get it done in 21 days and uh, yeah. it can't be further from the truth. Yeah, I was just going to say that actually. It's just, <laughs> no wonder I'm not doing so well with sticking to my digital health apps that I have. Um, which speaking of, like, I can't even count how many times I've downloaded an app to say like, help me stick to, you know, better eating habits or help me stick to a good exercise plan. Um, And then, you know, I might use it for a few days, maybe a week, but then it kind of tailors off. And before you know it, like I haven't touched the app, I'm not using it. And then I delete it and it's like never to be seen again. Uh, And I don't even have a serious health condition, right? So for somebody who is, you know, has a serious health condition and is trying to use an app to help maintain their health, um, you know, how does that affect someone's ability to engage or stick with using an application as intended? Kate, you just said it. Um, whether it's picking up a new habit, getting rid of an old one, or really a lot of the times is trying to do both because you can't start eating healthy without getting rid of all the crap that we're eating, basically. Um, whichever of these you're doing, behavior change is really hard and really time consuming and resource consuming, even in ideal conditions. And there's a few considerations that if we don't account for, they make behavior change much harder, but really impossible for many of us. And I think one of them is motivation. If you make that conscious decision to start walking every night, if it's the ultimate reason to do that is, you know, dear and to your heart, it's fueled from within, that's intrinsic motivation. If you decide and it's personal to you, that is the best kind of motivation. But you mentioned medical conditions. Well, someone just diagnosed with a medical condition, sometimes they barely have the time to process, to accept the diagnosis, but they may be told you must start treatment now. And oftentimes the alternative is experiencing severe risks. So there's no choice really. In that case, the motivation is external, dictated by the physician. So Maybe the physician is kind and well-intended, but regardless of that, it's not quite the same as intrinsic motivation. These externally driven ones, when basically someone tells you what to do, make behavior change so much harder. So that is one of the main reasons why I think it's harder to change your behavior when you're dealing with a medical condition. And the other one is barriers. There's this really famous 3R model, remind, routine, reward, which is beautiful in its simplicity. But the reality is the road to habit formation is paved with good intentions, but twice as many barriers. So whether it's access to resources, um, even our environment, like gyms are closed now. If swimming or going to the gym was your favorite thing, 
the environment may not be aligned with what you're trying to achieve. So we're all facing, I'm sure you can both relate, we're all facing these kinds of barriers. Um, and some of them are common between us, right? But now think of someone with a medical condition. On top of these everyday barriers most of us could be facing, they have symptoms. So let's say someone living with epilepsy may be asked to track events related or what happens right after their seizure. Well, if you know anything about seizures, doing anything after this already really hard experience to say the least, it's a lot different than conventional barriers that we kind of all have in common. So I think to start tackling this is acknowledging that symptom-related barriers may be a lot harder to deal with and to overcome when you're trying to change your behavior. And to do this, we're always talking to users. But the trick there is if someone is early in their diagnosis, they won't know exactly what lies ahead. And symptoms can intervene with the way they answer questions sometimes. So that research needs to be complemented by subject matter experts, such as their care team. And only doing these with the focus, additional focus really, on the symptoms and the journey of the medical condition, it gives us this intimate understanding so we can start aspiring to design the right solution. So it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. Yeah, those are some really good points, actually. I mean, like I said, I think of like how hard it is for me personally to develop a habit or, you know, stick to something. But then when you add on the additional complexities of having to deal with symptoms and, you know, the curveballs that dealing with those symptoms can can throw your way, like it just becomes so much more complex. And I'm sure that when you really examine all the barriers that do exist, there's probably so many b barriers that people just would never even think of, you know, until you actually examine it. So, I mean, really good point. It's, it's important when you're designing these applications, especially when physicians are prescribing them, you know, to patients that they take these barriers, additional barriers into account for sure. And I think so. something... Um, sorry, just what you said prompted something. Something really important there is um, oftentimes people do one round of research. When you're dealing with, so I worked at the multiple sclerosis um, at the General Hospital of Ottawa, and I've seen people part of a three-year longitudinal study. You see differences, both mental and physical, every three months. And you barely, sometimes you barely recognize the person three years later. So these needs associated with the medical condition are constantly changing. So it's not enough to have that initial step because you may account for their needs for the first three weeks. But what then? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Conditions change over time. So from a design standpoint, how... How do you account for that, the changing, changing user needs and patient needs over time? Very good point. 
So we've talked, you know, a bit about what the market's kind of like today, some of the challenges that are happening, um, also why it's so hard to take on healthy habits um, and why so many digital health apps out there aren't really successful in positively impacting people's health. So now that we know all of this, we've discussed this, let's get down to what people can do. Right. So what can product teams who are designing these applications, uh, what can they do from a design standpoint to keep users engaged uh, so that they can achieve their health goals, whatever those may be? Great question. Um, I want to talk a bit about journey. One of the things that we're seeing in the app space is that a lot of apps are not accounting for the entire journey. Uh, and a lot of the focus is going into the daily use features of the app. And and the reality is if that users are, are they might not, ne- they might not ever get the chance to get to that daily um, cycle of using the app on a daily basis if the earlier parts of the journey haven't been accounted for in the entire experience, right? The, the, the user's journey starts with the need to change and so too should the app, right? And so, um, there's sort of uh, four stages that we break it down into. We recommend breaking this this because I'm not going to lie. Journey mapping is hard. It's it takes a lot of time and deliberation to do it correctly, especially alongside quality research. So, but um, worth it. <laughs> absolutely worth it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> so the the four stages that we um, break it up into is pre onboarding, uh, onboarding itself. Then comes daily usage, which is the focus of most of the apps out there, and then finally growth and beyond. And so these stages um, not only help to account for the user's mind space as they move through them, but it also helps us to use the right techniques at the right moment, right? Which is so important. Uh, Just a quick note on techniques. Um, Out there in the app space, a lot of apps are using a handful of techniques when there's close to 100 available to them. and that's also a big problem. So the, uh, using the right techniques at the right moments with the right content, that, that together can be really effective. And using these stages, you can really make sure that you're accounting for the user. So uh, I'll go briefly into each one of the stages. Uh, at pre-onboarding, this is everything that happens before you actually take the step to download the app. So what, what are the app's ratings? What's the, uh, the website look like? Um, the description of the app. How does the app present itself, right? And, and building credibility is an important one here. So we all know Fabulous. They're a, a very uh, popular habit-changing app in the market. And one of the, um, one of the big parts of their story is their involvement of a research team at Duke University and the fact that they approach habit formation in a science-led approach. Um, that really... Um, establishes credibility right at the front. So when you're looking at, you know, which apps should I, might I want to use to build a new habit, here's a science-led approach um, that really gives it a lot of credibility. Then you've got the onboarding stage, and that's when you've downloaded it, you're opening it up or um, registering that whole process. Um, Oftentimes, this is where the user is going to set their goals. And uh, they're going to get an understanding of how the app's going to look and feel and, and what this whole thing is going to look like. And so the app, the, op, the job of the app is to establish a rapport with the user um, to communicate those steps and what this journey is going to look like. 
um, what they're working towards without overloading them with information to the point where they're going to back out of this whole thing. And that, and that happens often too. Either there isn't enough information or there's too much. You're, you're committing to too many things right at, the, right at the beginning. You haven't had the chance to think this through in terms of what you want to do. Um, so that, that, pro, that first onboarding process is extremely important. Um, and then we get to daily usage, right? And, and this is the stage that, we're, as I mentioned, we're seeing the most focus in the industry. Um, the idea here is for the user and the app to establish a cadence where um, they're regularly interacting with each other. Uh, and when you have a, a, like a really good app from a daily usage perspective, there's an input and output between the app and the user. And so um, it's establishing uh, a cycle, as Roxana mentioned, environment, right? So if the user keeps snoozing certain notifications, the app should understand that either the user is busy or maybe there's a deeper problem. Maybe the next time the user uh, initiates engagement, the app might ask, is everything okay? Do you remember these goals that we're working towards, right? If we don't mm -hmm. do these things on a regular basis, we're not gonna get there, right? And kind of reset, get the user back on track. Um, and it, that's what it's, it's, it's being on track on a daily cycle in a regular pattern. Um, and that's the sort of the meat of behavior change, right? And then lastly, the growth and beyond stage. This is a really unique stage. And I want to preface this by saying it's not always applicable. Um, in, in, in some spaces like uh, gamification, you might refer to this uh, as the uh, skill ceiling. And so basically, uh, it's once you've achieved your goal, how much further can you go? So in a fitness setting, you might achieve your goal of um, being really fit, but then your metrics can continue to improve, right? Faster times, heavier weights, whatever it is that you're doing. But if the goal is medication adherence, you're going to take your medication on time. There isn't a lot of room to grow there, right? So in some cases, it's, it's um, applicable. In others... Uh, it's not, but what, it, it, what, it, what is important with the growth and beyond stage is that it's establishing a longer term relationship with the user. So there's a reason for them to come back. So, uh, so there's a reason to continue to engage. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. And you said the daily usage was the part of the journey that people spend the most time on? At the moment. Yeah. Okay. And both from a design perspective, um, the industry is spending most time focusing on the features within the daily usage piece, and we're seeing a lack of um, a lack of intention around those two earlier stages that we mentioned. And then, when the user is using it, of course, they're going to be when they get into it and they get into a regular usage pattern, they'll be spending the most of their time in the daily usage phase of the app as well. So it's it it makes sense that app makers are spending a lot of time on this, but it shouldn't be at the expense of pre-onboarding or pre-onboarding stages because that's the part where you are experiencing the most friction as you're building a new habit right at the beginning. It's an extremely delicate phase. So yeah. another way to think of it, Kate, is in the daily usage is basically what you inter where you as a user interact with the app on a daily basis. So they want to keep you happy there. So... Investing in that phase really leads to user retention. You're happy with your everyday interaction, you stay on the app. 
But the part that they're kind of skipping and skimming over is the onboarding. So if that initial marketing step and that onboarding or pre-onboarding when you're just start, starting to discover the app, if that doesn't speak to you, then they're not going to get new users. So mm, yeah, but you don't get user adoption, basically. You don't get new users, but you can keep the ones you have happy. So for some of them, it may work, but particularly in digital health apps, we want to help as many people as possible, right? So that initial component is key. Yeah, it's like a... It's like a first impression, it seems like almost from my perspective. Like if I don't get a good first impression, then the rest of the experience is probably going to be off for me or I may not even get to the rest of the experience, you know? So yeah, those are definitely some some really good points and um, people should 100% be mindful of those, those first two uh, parts of the user's journey with the application because... Although it may not be the bulk of the journey, it's definitely a crucial part of the journey, as you guys have explained. Um, so here's an interesting question. How do people know if, or how can people predict, if they even can, if their application is going to do a good job at helping people change their behaviors before they even launch it to market? Like, is there a way for people to get a sense of how well their app will be able to do that? That's a really good question. Um, when it comes to usability, there's, uh, there's a lot of frameworks out there that uh, have established heuristics that can help in designing or even assessing something. So a good example that uh, a lot of people swear by is the Nielsen 10 usability heuristics for user interface design. That's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people just call it the, the, the Nielsen 10. Um, that was established in 1994 and it was so universal in its approach that it's still relevant today. Uh, other uh, principle sets come from big thinkers like Don Norman, Alan Cooper, Ben Schneiderman. Um, those are usability focused ones. There's other ones in uh, accessibility space or gamification or even behavior change. We found ourselves in need of something a little bit more specific. How can we create digital health apps that drive meaningful and lasting behavior change, bringing the digital and the behavior change pieces together? Uh, and so we explored behavior change techniques that were being used in clinical practice and combine those with gamification and gameful design techniques that were being used in digital, and we established this new model or framework. Um, and so we've built it on a foundation of good usability, uh, and it has in place mechanisms to ensure a continuous cycle, like I mentioned, between the user, the app, and the environment, um, a continuous cycle or arc of feedback between them, and we're calling it the ARC framework. So these behavior change techniques that I refer to, they're rooted in psychology and behavioral theory. Uh, and we're essentially taking all those techniques that are known to be successful in clinical settings and we're using them um, in that digital space, combining them with healthy, ethical, and effective methods. I mentioned healthy specifically and ethical because we've steered clear of any dark patterns that are used in the digital realm that might be exploitative or fear-based. And we believe taking this interdisciplinary approach combined with our intimate understanding of healthcare, complex needs, complex systems, we might have a recipe for determining whether or not 
an app is actually conducive to behavior change. Hmm. So we've talked earlier about the complexities associated with behavior change. They're coming from the environment, they're coming from the app, from the user. So I'm, I'm gonna try a little exercise with you because I want you to kind of get the beauty and simplicity, but also the power behind the art. So it started, it's a funny story behind it. For one, it's um, the acronyms of the founders, Alex, myself, and Carolyn. But more important than that, once we started drawing it, it related to a lot of the aspects that we were trying to implement. So I want you to imagine a triangle. Um, and it has app, environment, and user, right? And the trick, what makes this um, triangle special is that all of these sides are an arc, basically. So we were, you asked earlier, why is it so much harder for someone with a medical condition to, um, to, to uh, experience behavior change? Well, in that case, maybe the environment between two people is the same. They're both using the same app, but what's really, really different is the needs of the users. So they're going through the journey, but their journey is a lot. If I want to lose weight because I want to fit in my wedding dress in two months, as opposed to I'm at the risk of something and I need to lose X pounds because my doctor told me, the, everything from the user perspective is really different. So this arc vision allows us to kind of adjust the distances between any of the points and really identify with the users at the table, the stakeholders, as well as our expert team, where do we need to focus first and kind of how does that image look for that particular project? And I think that's really simple and powerful um, because it doesn't let you forget about any of the components. Everyone talks about the journey, uh, but really, if your environment doesn't allow it, if your financial resources don't allow it, it's not going to happen. If you don't have the motivation, it's not going to happen. If the app doesn't respond to your needs and is not aligned, so all of those need to be considered. And I think people focus on one or the other, and that's one of the reasons we see apps failing. So you have app, you have the user, you have environment. And the distance between them can lengthen or shorten depending on the person's experience or situation? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a good example, Kate. So uh, right now, uh, as we know, um, gyms are not accessible for everybody. Um, and so earlier this year, I'll, I, I might be using a fitness app and I told it that I want to go to the gym three or four times a week. Um, and the app reminds me in the middle of a pandemic, Hey, it's time to go to the gym, right? Uh, not taking into account the environment in which we're trying to achieve these habits. That's a massive failure on the app's part. And it causes me to lose faith in the app. Does it really know what's right for me? Right. And, and so, uh, these constantly adjusting parts of the arc should be learning, inputting and outputting from each other in order to be effective, right? But to, to, to gauge where I am as a user, to gauge the environment, is it rainy and it's telling me to go for a jog? Like, you know, the, the, yeah. again, 
it's not taking the environment into consideration. Now, these are really simplistic examples, and you know, you could apply this to um, uh, uh, a different type of app around medica medication adherence or diabetes management, and all of a sudden the stakes are much higher, and it's so much more important for the environment, um, the app to take the environment into consideration, as well as the user and their mindset. So that's the that's one of the critical pieces about the ARC framework is that aside from all these techniques that we've outlined and the stages, it's the fact that there's a constant cycle between these three points and that they're always listening to each other. Hmm. Okay. That helps me, I think, visualize. I think the example you gave maybe helped that put in put it into perspective for me. Um, obviously, like you said, the stakes are higher when you're when it's not just trying to get you to go to the gym, but it's trying to get you to take your medication as you should, or else bad things will happen. <laughs> um, so that's so that's kind of like the foundation of this framework that you guys have put together. This uh, relationship, ongoing, changing, complex relationship between the app, the user, and the environment. Um, and you did mention heuristics before. Uh, so you guys from, if correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a set of heuristics that you guys have created specifically that as an outcome of this framework to help you evaluate people's applications. Did you want to maybe just like give us a few examples or of like how you would use those? So there's a lot of heuristics on the market, like Alex was saying, whether they're focused on usability, the most traditional and famous ones, or a few are um, coming to light now with a focus on accessibility. Uh, someone in Ontario, Professor Gustavo Tandelo, is working on heuristics specific for gamification. So all of these are assessing whether your app or product meets certain criteria. But there isn't really, to the best of my knowledge, something that, or there wasn't before us, something that you can use um, as a test, I guess, or an evaluation to see if I want to bring this digital health app to the market, is it able to conduct and lead to that meaningful and long lasting change that it's intended to? Can it make people behave the way um, it's intended to achieve what they want, to improve their medical condition, to improve their health or wellness? Can it do that? So what we have is a list of heuristics, which the number can be adjusted depending on the app or product and the relevance to it. But really going through it, we identify what the app is missing so that before you bring it to the market, you can you know it can do what it, it intends to do, what it set, sets out to do. So could you just maybe expand, because this to me sounds like a game changer. Like if I were creating or designing a digital health app, I 100% would want some kind of like understanding of how well I've designed the app to facilitate behavior change before putting it out on the market and then realizing certain things and having to go back to the drawing board or redo certain features or add new features. Um, so could you maybe just expand on like the value of doing this 
our heuristics evaluation. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is something that obviously people would come to our team uh, for, for guidance on and, and to get our um, ad advice on, or how is this, how is this implemented? Um, how do people get access to this information? And why would they want to perform this ARC heuristics evaluation? So I'm going to start with why, and then we'll talk about the rest. So you may have heard of the 1 to 10 to 100 rule, um, which is kind of famous and very often repeated. Basically, any dollar invested in research, if you don't, it'll cost you more in prototyping. It'll cost you 10, let's say, in prototyping. And if you skip that step, it'll cost you 100 in development. So we're talking about saving time and money. So I like to think of the ARC in a similar fashion. Um, if you invest the resources to do this evaluation and early on, as early as the ideation and planning stage, before you even have something concrete with code, it ensures that by the time the digital health app is released in the wild, it's ready to be released. It has the characteristics necessary for users to give it a try in the first place. Because, I mean, you can just try it, go on your app and look for apps for behavior change or habit formation. You're gonna get tons and tons of results. So most apps have a fair share of competitors. So we want the app before it makes it out the door to have the characteristics necessary for the users to try it. If it passes this step, it needs to keep users engaged. And beyond that, um, I mean, we all know I'm in the business of social media or gaming industry. We're talking about healthcare here. So it's not just engagement. We're not, the engagement is not enough. Aside from adoption and retention, digital health apps have the really hard job of being conducive to meaningful and long lasting behavior change. So, I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many places where the app could fail. The risk of bringing it to the market prematurely is too high not to conduct this evaluation. Um, think of today, the global pandemic has had an enormous impact on the global health system. And one of the continuing impacts is the shifting of the site of care from hospitals and clinics to telemedicine and remote medicine. So this kind of prompted the renewed focus on population health and better health outcomes in terms of being more proactive rather than proactive, uh, providing reactive care in the clinical settings to avoid going there in the first place. And proactive relies on things like medication adherence, patient behavior change to avoid those clinical encounters, making the timing for this art framework all the more critical. Mm -hmm. And how, so do people just reach out to our team if they are looking for some guidance on how to apply this ARC framework, including the heuristics evaluation that you guys have put together? Yeah, absolutely. so, um, sorry, go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, absolutely, that at, at, at any point, if, if it's something that's already established, we're able to assess the solution using this framework and actually score it. 
if they're at the very beginning of the process, um, we're able to help them design it using these heuristics. That's a really good clarification. Thanks for adding that in. This, this isn't something that is only to be used you know, before anything's been released. You can also use to score something that currently exists um, and to kind of give you an idea of how you, know, you could improve the design. Um, and is this something that is, can be applied just for within healthcare or can this be applied you know, for applications that exist outside of the realm of digital health? I'm really happy you asked that. Behavior design principles and heuristics can really be, they're universal. They can be anywhere where there's a need for change and a need to engage users. That's probably one of my favorite things because I keep applying it in my personal life. Um, it's behavior change science is such a vast and rich field, but its beauty is this, it can be applied everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I really mean at the individual level in our daily lives, like I've applied it to design my office um, for a better, to improve my mental health and wellness. Um, so, but I guess today's landscape really gives us a myriad of examples of where they should, it should be applied more. So most of us can, and you're doing it right now, most of us can relate to working from home. Um, it's, it's been a choice for many of us, for some of us, or for us, but for others, it's forced upon. So the common complaint I've heard from people is that part of this transition is that there's no stop. The line between work and after work is gray. So here you can do something as simple as the principle of social commitment, which says that if you make a promise to someone, you're more likely to keep it. So I, I've applied this. My hard stop consists of a walking date with someone, of course, I'm allowed to from the same household. But because I've made that commitment, it forces me to end. And it's, it's such so simple, but it works. And I'm doing that several times a day. Well, not a day, a week. Um, but other examples are just the societal changes to kind of prevent the spread of COVID. It's not going great. And one of the reasons it's not going so well is because one size does not fit all. We talked about differences and we don't see this response and these various initiatives targeting different kinds of users. What speaks to my 12 year old little brother is very different than what speaks to me and what speaks to my parents and so on and on, right? So there's a lot of room there. And the other massive one going on right now is education, right? Universities, high schools, grade schools, they're all going from this massive transition and transformation. Um, but as far as I can tell, there's not too many measures to kind of ensure that both educators and learners change to adequately and successfully either learn or teach in this remote only environment. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good example, actually. It's because I have uh, my brothers in his last year of high school, and he's you know having to do all the remote learning right now, and he's finding it so challenging. And you're right; it's it's like you can't. There's no like blanket solution where you know it's going to work perfectly for everybody. Everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And especially when it comes to something like learning, like that is, you know, that's very unique. That's very personal. Everybody learns differently. Right. So yeah, that's, that's a really good example um, of how something like this framework can be applied to as well. It's also a good example. Like there's all these differences between us, but there's also differences between our environments. Until recently, um, I, I just went through a moving from a little condo to a house, which I do not recommend during, doing during COVID, but that's a story for another day. But we were five people and a dog in a one bedroom. And my little brother was asked to turn his camera on. I wanted to turn my camera on. And, you know, it's just this... I have a choice, but he didn't. He kept getting messages being asked, why is, not, why is your camera not on? That's a requirement of the class. Well, because my sister has a really important meeting and she doesn't want things in the background. Or, you know, it's just some of these things. Like the, this is an example where the environment can make a huge difference. And not, not all in a position to, to do those things or to even have to have that from home experience yeah yeah for sure um definitely nice to know that you know there's definitely urgency when it comes to the field of healthcare and you know long-standing issues like medication adherence there's a huge opportunity to apply a model like this and you know a heuristics evaluation like this to that scenario specifically um but yeah it's it's kind of optimistic to know that this can be applied to many other issues that we have in our day-to-day life as well um so yeah so thanks guys for for chatting with me about this today i don't know if there's anything like any ending thoughts or anything that you wanted to give before we close off or anything that I've missed? I think, I think it, you know, if I could just say having good habits when it comes to your health and well-being, it's something that everybody wants. The desire to change and be better, it's, it's out there in everyone. Um, yet we still have bad habits and we often fail at making better ones, right? So it, it just goes to show that it really takes a methodical, realistic, and pragmatic approach to really impact behavior change. And while there's many apps out there that have amazing content or the right intentions or impressive features, ultimately, if they're not using the right methods at the right stage, at the right moments rather, uh, to deliver the right content, it ends up falling short. And so we're, we're really seeing the potential of the ARC framework to really address those problems head on so we can help companies, help users to build better habits. 